0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. In our show, we will resume our conversation with our guest, Dr. Ben Bernstein, around strategies for exam anxiety and solutions we can implement for better test taking. In our last episode, we discussed an understanding and causes for performance anxiety, the various levels of anxiety, how stressful experiences can affect us, and how to reclaim our locus of control, as well as the power of breathing and control of your exhale to improve the physiological effects. We'll resume our talk today by discussing how to regain your equilibrium and your focus.
1: Well, we have control also over our thinking. Yeah. We can't control the thoughts that come to us, but we can definitely control what we do with them. Mm-hmm. So for instance, every good exam is going to have items on the exam that you have never seen before or that are worded in a very difficult way. This is purposeful on the part of the examiners. You need to expect this. So, when a person looks at something, even though they're really, you know, well-informed and they're prepared, and they immediately have this what I would call a disconnecting response. Oh my God, I I don't know what this is. I can't do it. That's the thought, but then they know they need to learn. And this is where the tools come in to be confident how to turn that around right away, right? So that they can get connected and be able to deal with the problem. So the three tools for being confident reestablish that connection to, I can do this rather than I can't. Really good, right? Same thing with focus. When we get distracted, it, this happens all the time for everybody on tests. You get distracted. You something happens in the room. The proctor does something untoward. You start thinking about, you know, your children, or if I don't pass this, I'm not going to be able to stay in the state. It's a distraction. Mom, but if you can catch it, I'm saying when, when you can catch it, you know how to. Re-establish your focus on the question in front of you. So one way of thinking about all this, Graham, is is that the training that I do with people is the training to stay present, to be in the present. Because that's the moment when you're reading a question. That's the moment when you have to answer a question. The clock is ticking. You want to be present. Again, look Mm -hmm. at any great athlete. They are present. Yes. Right? A basketball player misses a foul shot. They don't stand there and go, oh my God, my career is falling apart. No, they just know how to get back in gear. When ath- athletes talk about this quality of presence as the zone, when athletes yes. talk about it generally, the way they talk about it, they
0: oh man,
1: I got in the zone. It's kind of mystical. My te- yeah. One of my teachers called it misty, moisty. It's not, it's, it's a process of becoming more conscious Yes. Of where you are at that moment and where you want to be and knowing how to get there immediately. That's the training.
0: That's really good. You're talking here, too, when we begin to get distracted, whether something the, the proctor done or some other thing that comes into our mind. You're talking about teaching people, training folks, yes. coaching folks into kind of regaining that equilibrium in those yes. three areas, the three legs of those stools. Yeah and quickly reinforcing whatever one is out of balance right then. So that, that, that equilibrium is reestablished and, and, you know, interestingly enough, and and when you think about athletes, that talk about being in the zone and they think, Oh, that was one of my best performances. No, that's your potential every single time. (laughs) If you know how to stay in that state and the elite athletes, they've trained themselves to stay in that state for longer, longer periods of time when the other athletes kind of dip for a moment, That's that's when they've got them. Yeah, yeah,
1: right. Yeah. No, you're 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 terrific. You're what a great psychologist you are, because I mean that because think about this for a moment when you say your potential. So I I was asked to give a workshop at a major Eastern University, 27 varsity teams. Mm -hmm. I coached all the coaches on one day and all the team captains the next day. So the first thing I asked the coaches is, what's your goal? And they looked at me like I was from some planet way out in the solar system. What do you mean? What's my goal? The goal is to win. And I explained to them, winning is an outcome. Hmm. Goal is that all your players play at their best and they play at their best together. That's the goal. We can't control winning. You can't control the score you get. Because you don't know, there's so many variables with winning and getting a score. What you can do is to perform to your potential. That's really a big point in all of this.
0: That's really good. So you're talking about there are two kinds of goals. There's effort-based goals and there are performance-based goals. The performance-based goals, we may not always be able to control. Maybe the, you know, the moon's in the wrong, wrong place, or maybe I didn't have breakfast properly, or I had a, broke up with my girlfriend, or something happened that's going to affect my performance whether I'm recognizing or not. And if everything is based on their performance or outcome, I'm only as good as I'm successful that night versus what if I focus on my effort that for the most part, I could control so many factors in that.
1: Absolutely.
0: And if I do right things here repeatedly, chances are my performance is going to kind of take care of itself. I love that refocus.
1: You're absolutely right. But again, it goes back to the way most of us were educated. Yeah, we were educated to give right answers. We were educated to do what we were told. We were educated to get through this so that you can go on to that. It was not really about real learning. How much do you remember from the fourth grade? Yeah, right. It wasn't about real learning. It was about repetition, memorization, regurgitation, getting the right mark so that you could go on. It's really not good. about staying in the present. We don't have that kind of training. So this is a big reset for most mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And they need it because what happens is, is that you, we just all develop very unproductive habits. Yeah, And those unproductive habits get in our way. So another way of putting this is that stress is a function of disconnection. You feel stress when you're disconnecting in your body or you're disconnecting in your mind. I can't, I don't, or I'm not or you're disconnecting in your spirit. You don't have a goal that's your goal, or you keep getting distracted.
0: One of those three legs disconnecting from...
1: One or two or three legs.
0: One, two or three, yeah.
1: And, and because it's such a dynamic system, if one goes out, it's going yeah. to just affect the other two. Yeah. So
0: really
1: you can good. start anywhere. I developed a self-diagnostic tool. I hired a research psychologist to great expense about 20 years ago. To develop a self diagnostic tool. It's on my website. It's free for everybody. So you can get a reading on your three legged stool. And once you get that reading, you can focus in on which area do I really have to start with. But truthfully, you could start anywhere and it's going to lead to the other two.
0: Really good. Hey, talk to our listeners here. You do individual coaching, you yep. do group coaching. Walk us through some of the stages. I know there's about to, to, there, there are four of them that you walk folks through that come to see you. Give us a sense of those, would you, Ben?
1: Well, the, yeah, thanks. The first one, you know, it's similar to what we do in, in all therapeutic situations. It's a diagnostic phase. Like, I want to hear the history. I want to hear what's compounded over time to give you the habits, the unproductive habits that you have. So whether it's in the individual work that I do or through the book, or recently I've just mounted two online self-directed courses. You have to go through a stage of self-examination. It's absolutely essential, okay? So that's the first stage. Second stage is to do exactly what you and I are doing, is to show them the Yerkes-Dodson curve, talk about the scientific basis of all of this. You really need to understand that stress is affecting your performance. What's the new definition of stress? that what we're going to do here is, so it's, it's like setting a foundation, right? Mm -hmm. The third phase is to actually start putting this into practice. And practice means practice. You can't, it's just not going to happen on exam day. You can't just, we can't just drop a habit. We have to replace it with a Mm -hmm. new habit, a productive Mm -hmm. habit. So this is, this is a, 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 a challenging phase for people. Because old habits die hard. And we have used old habits to get through situations. And somehow we have it wired up that I have to be nervous before a test because that's how I've gotten through all my tests. That's that's miswiring. Yes. Okay. Again, a certain amount of that juice, I would, you know, I'll call it that, that energy, that's not the same as getting stressed out. You need a certain amount on mm-hmm. test day, on performance day to perform at your best. So that practice phase is is essential, and the more people practice, the better. Now, part of the practice phase for any test is to, if you're taking like an exam like the EPPP or the SAT or whatever, is to start to analyze your answers. This is actually not well done generally, which is analyze your answers. You want to really understand why you got something wrong. Mm. And you also want to understand why you got something right, because believe me, people get right answers, but they were just, they lucked out as far as I'm concerned. So analyzing the answers is absolutely essential. Tucked in there, though, with practicing is studying. The basic thing with most people is, is that they will always put off the most difficult part of the exam till the last thing to study. And that's a big disconnection right there because you're thinking about it all the time. You're afraid right. of those questions coming up. You know, all the people who have come to me over all the years who take the Triple I would say 90% say statistics. I can't do statistics. Mm-hmm. I can't. So where are statistics mm-hmm. on your hit list of practicing? Yeah, well, I'll get to it. You know, right. I'm going to do the, right. no, no, no. You got, it. Mm-hmm. let's put that at the top. Now, people right. don't like that, but they get it right away that when you're focused, this is a focus issue and you conquer the most difficult thing, it paves the way for so much ease later yes. on. That's so so good. this is the whole retraining. Then the last part of course, is carrying this into the exam itself. And that has to do with how, you, how you're getting ready, preparing you all the practice that we've talked about, learning all of that. But now how, what's the week before? What mm-hmm. is the day before? What do you do on exam day? I and mean, again, people have so many unproductive habits around all this. We just clear those out and put productive ones in their place. So that's really helpful, Ben. Yeah. When when
0: when you're talking about this as well, along with these coaching strategies and approaches and tools that you're equipping folks with, yeah, how how important do you encourage them? How important it is to encourage folks to understand that during this time of preparation, self care is really an important piece, whether it's you know prioritizing their time of study, letting yeah. other people know what's going to be going on, getting supports, accountability. Talk sure. about the self-care piece of this.
1: No, you're nailing it, Graham, because taking an exam is generally a lonely process, right? Yes. We need support. We need to have our family understand it or our partner understand it or our boss understand what we're yeah. going through and what we need. And I encourage people Get as much as you can if you need an extra day Mm -hmm. off or you need, you know, let's really talk about what your options are. And often people are reluctant, you know, if they're in a job to get a day off. I say in the week before you need a day off, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, as much as you can. So the self-care part is important now. So what does that also mean? It means adequate sleep, certain exercise, but there's a hidden thing in here, which I absolutely highlight which is how you study. Most Mm. people study in a very unproductive way. I have a three-hour block and I am going to concentrate. Well, the brain is not really set up. It's not a computer. It's not really set up for uninterrupted studying for three hours. So I train people in what I call rounds of three, 30. 30 minutes is, we know this, is a optimal amount of time. Some people it's 20 minutes, some people it's 40 minutes. You set a timer for 30 minutes or 40 minutes. You have one goal. You turn off all devices and you just work. Take a two-minute break, bathroom, stretching, glass of water. That's it. Come back, do another 30, two-minute break, the third 30, and then you take a 20-minute break. Now, in those 30 minutes, the first 30, you tackle the most difficult thing right at the top. Then you switch to something, you relax the system, you switch to something easier, then come back and take something more difficult. When people study, for instance, for the EPPP, I have them prioritize all the domains, most difficult, most challenging to least challenging, and they build their study plan around that. Very, very helpful. So taking the pauses. One last thing about the self-care. When you're studying, when you're sitting in front of a computer or books, you're using your eyesight, without getting too far into this, the eyes are directly connected to the nervous system, which means when you're reading, you're using your foveal or your central vision that's hardwired to your sympathetic nervous system. So by definition, you're amping yourself up while you're reading. Central vision was connected to, that's a tiger, that's a lion, right? So yes. it's fight or flight. So. Training after every 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you do a resting eye exercise. There are three that I teach people. Right. And when you practicing, you practice whole three. And when you take the exam, you implement them. Oh, I don't have time for that. No, no. You don't have time for that because you're not doing it. That's right. Your whole system is geared like this. So when they do it, guess what? They're not tired at the end of four hours. No. This was a major finding on my part. You have control, self-care, you have control over whether you're going to be tired or not, simply by resting your eyes regularly through the course of the test.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Whether you're a long-time or first-time listener to behavioral health today, you're probably familiar with Triad, the company that brings you this podcast. But you may not know that Triad also hosts a community for current and aspiring behavioral and mental health professionals, featuring trending content and education and career resources, all for free. If you are a behavioral or mental health professional, or you're studying to become one, join more than 80,000 people on Triad by claiming your free professional account today. Visit us at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com bht. And join the Triad community today. Really good. You're talking about that state learning earlier on. We can practice these things in our preparation that then translate and generalize over to the actual test setting itself. I love the idea too of blocking out your study periods. We know that after about 25 minutes of reading intensely, if you continue to push yourself through, you lose about 80% of what you try and intake. And this idea too of of supported reading where if, you know, while we're reading something, if we can read out loud and actually hear it auditorily, or if we can have it read to us while we read, maybe we've recorded it somehow, or it can Absolutely. be read read out loud, yeah. our, our learning increases by 38%. So these sure. strategies yeah. really have some science behind them.
1: Oh, yeah. No, everything wonderful is science-based because you know that's the value of science. What yeah. we don't have enough, really anywhere near enough science, is behind the spirit part. That's why we rule it yeah. out. If you can't see it, you can't measure it. And if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Untrue. Yeah. The spirit is what's driving you. You want to be a really good. You want your right. license. You want to be a good psychologist, a social worker, right? Whatever that's the, the juice. Business. That's your yeah. spirit. But yeah. we don't. We really avoid this, and that is the energy that drives your being able to stay focused. The word mm-hmm. "focus" comes from the Latin that means hearth or fireplace. So think about that for a minute. Hmm. Hearth or fireplace. What's a hearth or fireplace? It's an old school word, but think about it: light, heat, energy, hmm. sustenance, gathering. Hmm. All this all is about focus, gathering your energies, sustaining yourself, nourishing yourself, giving light, giving heat. So when we turn on that function of ours, the spirit, that's that's what humankind has driven humankind to accomplish great feats. Really good. Mozart, Marie Curie. I mean, you can name Mother Teresa. It's all focused. It's staying connected with their spirit. But we just don't cultivate that in our education systems.
0: As you're doing this, there are times, as you're trying to cultivate this in folks and maybe helping them reclaim some things that have maybe been taken from them in our educational system or other, maybe our parenting, whatever it may be, that kind of takes that ability to have an attitude a certain way or to right. develop some of these tools one of the hopeful things i was thinking earlier to misname this real quick these tools these strategies these things that you're you're teaching and coaching the good news is these are skills that can be learned it's not like oh i'm either born with them or i'm not oh, the, or no. or i've lost them once and i can never reclaim them these are skills that can replace old habits that we've developed to compensate for whatever we needed to compensate for but interfere now with our learning process and kind of cause unnecessary anxiety. So I love the idea that these skills can be taught and people can reclaim some of these things that can really help them be successful and reach their potential.
1: They're your birthright. That's it. They're your yes. birthright. Yeah. I, no child came out of the womb thinking, I'm a loser. I can't yeah. handle this. That's right. This is a product of culture, of our civilization. Of watching TV or on the web, every commercial is negatively based. You don't use the right shampoo, you don't drive the right car, you don't live in the right neighborhood, negative, negative, negative. Yeah. Right? So, so yes, this is our birthright to yeah. to be confident, to have this, because we have all have potential. Yeah. All of us. Every single person has potential. But we don't really, that's not really what we cultivate. Last thing I would say about this too is that. Education, the word education also comes from Latin. Two, it has two roots, educare and educere. One of them means to draw forth. And one of them means to train. So think about it for a minute. Our educational system is mostly based on training. It's not about drawing forth. Right. It's not about really drawing forth from the person. Who is she? What does he really, where is he headed? And then comes the training. We just superimpose training. This is what you have to learn. It doesn't matter why, just you have to learn it. I was very fortunate in my, when I graduated from college in 1969, 70 to go to England and I was trained in very progressive schools in really poor neighborhoods. The kids came to school every day and there were five to 10 different activities that they could choose from and engage in. And we as teachers had to Track their interest and teach them what was in their interest, Mm. and that's a that's that's the drawing forth and the training. Totally different.
0: What a nice frame, kind of. It's not a reframe. It's a it's a it's a explanation of how we've kind of switched those. We're training first, but we're not kind of we're not drawing out who the person really is and what their gifts and skills and abilities and talents inherently are.
1: That's exactly- Draw
0: those first, and then train around those. I, I love exactly. that.
1: Well, it goes back to what you said no. about locus of control. It goes right back to that. Really good. You, you're you are yourself. You will always be yourself. You will never turn into another person. Why not get with the program? Really learn about who you are, and then cultivate that. You're not going to cultivate a rose like you would a papaya tree. It doesn't work that way. You yeah. get cultivated for who you are,
0: despite people's best efforts and. There are times when people do not pass their exam. Yeah. How do you help them understand what not passing actually means? And how do you help them frame that?
1: Well, first of all, you, you, you do have to deal, I, we have to deal with disappointment because there's so much buildup around exams, you know, to passing, to getting the best score, all of that. So they're acknowledging and accepting disappointment. But the acceptance also means just accepting that this happened. You can't change it. But what you can do, once you accept anything, you can ask yourself the question, how can I grow from this? Mm-hmm. So when people come to me for coaching and they don't get the score that they wanted and this happens or they, you know, they they don't pass, this happens. We immediately, you know, I tell people right before the exam, I say, after this, the next session is going to be, we're going to celebrate or we're going to strategize. So we strategize with a person who doesn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. What did you learn from that experience that's going to help you the next time? So here's a little story. When my wife and I moved to California, I was licensed in two other states and I had to then take the California oral exam which was a horrible exam. I mentioned this before, right? And I got into these groups and people failing left and right. And i such great clinicians, so knowledgeable. And I saw what was happening is they got disconnected when they crossed the threshold. So I coached them and people were like, wow, you should be doing this for a living. This is really, and I said, I, this is what I do for a living. Okay. We all went to take the exam. They all passed and I failed. Yeah, I failed. So was I disappointed? Yes. Was I angry? Yes. Was I out a lot of money? Yes. All of that. Yeah. But, you know, given my own training and who I am. Yeah. What did I have to learn from that? So that time you could go to Sacramento in California and you could listen to the tape of your exam. Mm -hmm. And I went to listen to, and I heard in the first three minutes, I knew why I had failed because I was a flipping encyclopedia. I was answering way beyond the questions. And that was a really good learning experience, not just for the exam, but like life. So I went back and said the exam, answered the questions past. Yes, so yes. That, that lesson is what do you learn from this? Right? This yes. is a big life thing, Graham. We have to learn to accept what happens in our life, even when we don't like it, even when it's not what we want to happen. Life is life, accept yes. it. Then ask yourself the question, how can I grow from this? Yep. Not why is it happening to me? What did I do to deserve? None of that. How can I grow from this? And it transforms the whole the whole business. It doesn't mean you're not going to be angry. You're not going to be frustrated. But those things get mitigated when you put it into a different frame.
0: I think that's a critical mindset. Either we're going to succeed or we fail is what we think. But no, it's, right. not. it's not. I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to learn.
1: Yeah, and we're all it's not even or I'm always learning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm gonna get what I wanted on this thing, True. and now I'm gonna have to learn other things or apply yeah. what I learned. It's a it's an ongoing process. That's it goes so back good. to that exam thing rather yeah. than, you know, what did I get from this? Okay, I have to do it again. Many people who come to me in a in a more severe place of real anxiety or total loss of confidence, and this gets hammered. When they fail two times, three times, eight times, right? They go, they learn the tools. They practice the tools. They go back, take the exam again, and they don't pass. But what they report is, you know, I was able to do it without getting so anxious. Yeah, I was able to do it when I saw an item. I didn't freak out. So right. that now they're, that's the other part. They're on a different plane now. Yep. They go back and take it again. They pass.
0: Really good. Really right. good. Exactly. So yeah. you
1: accept what goes on. How can I learn? You learn and then you move on.
0: Great. Ben, we're come to the end of our time today, and I would love our listeners to learn more about you, your Be Your Best Performance coaching website, sure. and your book Test Anxiety. Give us some resources and how to find you.
1: Well, the big hub is my website, D R B Your Best. BEST.com. Um, the book you mentioned, Crush Your Test Anxiety. But what I realized is, is that the book was written about, oh, I don't know, it was 14 years ago, the first edition. The publisher wants me to work on a new edition. There's a lot of new material. So I decided to put this into an online course because people really need something that's more self-directed, that's not dependent upon an hourly session with me. Mm-hmm where they can really absorb this, they can replay, they can go over things again and again. So I created two online courses. One is Crush the P because I was getting a lot of, I call them refugees from the courses and I'm not faulting the courses at all. I took them. They're incredibly comprehensive and useful and taught by really good people. But this performance tools part is something that I can afford them. So I did Crush the P. And now the latest one, which has just started, is Crush Your Test Anxiety. Very and good. And it goes beyond the book. And in fact, we include a copy of the book with the with the course because it's a good reference to have.
0: Really good. Well, Ben, yeah. I have so enjoyed our time together today. It's been a delight and we're learning so much. So thank you for joining us on the podcast today.
1: My total pleasure, Graham. You're you're a terrific interviewer, and I'm not saying this to make you feel good, but locus of control, I got it now, and I'm going to use it, and I really appreciate your your listening and your availability and, and enthusiasm and encouragement. Thank you. It's
0: been great to participate with you today in this time, so thank you so much. And Thank you. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Ben and me today. It's always great to have you with us. I wanna remind you that our episode today and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash bht. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash bht, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today.